So how do you teach science in your homeschool? For this week's episode, I'm going to share with you a Zoom call that I recently had with a charter school about how to teach science in your home. This episode will be part one, and then two weeks from now, I'm going to share the second part where there'll be a little bit of Q&A from several Zoom calls that I've done over the past month. Hi, I'm Paige Hudson, and you're listening to Season 7 of the Tips for Homeschool Science Show, where we're breaking down the lofty ideals of teaching science into how-to building blocks you can use in your home. Thank you all uh, for coming, and thanks for having me, and for those of you watching by way of video, uh, thank you for taking a look at this. And we are going to talk about uh, how you can teach science the three things that you're going to need, uh, your goals for teaching science, and then how that can look week to week. And then we'll do some question time and we'll wrap it up. Sound good? Your science teaching goals. So science is both a content and a context subject, which is a fancy way of saying that we need to both teach facts and we need to show our kids science. So we kind of have two different things that we're doing when we're teaching science. Um, but even so, uh, we do have uh, goals that we can reach at each level, and those are going to be different for each level. So especially like in your early years, you've got these elementary kids that I like to compare to empty buckets. And so at this age, Lizzie, your kids are just absorbing information. You're just trying to fill their educational bucket, and you're trying to kind of spark that desire for them to want to learn more about science, to get excited about science. Um, and then to build their knowledge base. So your focus is more on uh, driving that excitement than it is about making sure you cover specific things because there'll be time for the specifics in later years. And then as they move on to the middle school years, uh, they look like these piles of unorganized paper or the inside of their brains and probably the underside of their beds look the same as well. Um, but our goals at this stage are to begin to train them to think analytically about what they're learning. And we can do that by practicing the scientific method uh, with experiments and science fair projects. And then we, of course, want to continue to feed them with information. So at each stage, we're going to be teaching, we're going to be sharing facts with them and feeding them with information at the level that's appropriate to them. And then we get on to our high school years. And I like to compare these guys to a, a library. So they have organized information now from those elementary and middle school years, they just don't quite know uh, when to apply it to certain things. So just like you would have a law library where they'll pull down certain cases and apply it to certain things, um, that's what we're teaching during the high school years. We're teaching them how to take what they know and apply it to this new concept that they're learning. So those are your basic goals as you move through uh, the years in teaching science. And we're going to do that always through the three keys. So there's three things that we're going to do every week, every year. And it's good news because we only have to do three things each week, right? <laughs> so those three things are our experiments, our hands-on. We're going to do science, and then we're going to read about science, and then we're going to write it down. So those are the three basic things uh, we're going to do. And the best way I can explain this is when I was in high school, my science teacher taught me the most interesting science lesson I've ever had in all my life. So the first day we come in and we're all sitting in the classroom, looking around, wondering where the teacher is. And she comes in the back of the room because there's two doors in this 
classroom. She comes in through the back and turns off the light. And you can just imagine as a high school student how our fear went from here to way up here. <laughs> but the next thing we know, we hear this whoosh and a Bunsen burner turns on in the back, the back of the classroom. And she lights up something in a tube, which then proceeds to fly across the room. Turns out it was a flaming gummy bear experiment, which was quite exciting at that age. Then she turns on the light and says, that was science. And she proceeds to tell us about the, uh, what was going on in that gummy bear uh, explosion and show us the equations. And she's writing stuff on the board, teaching us how to take notes on this. So that's a basic, in a nutshell, uh, what a science lesson needs to have. So each week you're doing science, you're reading about science, and you're having your students write down what they're doing. And why? Well, experiments are the flesh of science. So this is our opportunity to present to our children what science looks like uh, to encounter science face to face. But the good news is it doesn't always have to be flaming gummy bears that we're doing with our kids. Uh, we can do all kinds of things. So we can do demonstrations. These are things that we are doing with our students and they're observing it. So whether we're doing, in this case, it's the uh, uh, you put hydrogen peroxide and a little bit of bake of dish soap in the bottom and then you add a little bit of yeast and water and it bubbles up and over. So the elephant toothpaste experiment. So we can demonstrate that with our kids or we can demonstrate other things. We can um, do experiments with them. And this is going to be more like your traditional experiments with your older students. As they get older, they're going to be able to do more of the work on their own. Um, so these will be student-led uh, at this point, the children will have built some kind of a knowledge base where they can make their educated guesses or their hypotheses. And you will be kind of mentoring them and making sure they don't blow up your kitchen. And we can also include, for our hands-on part, we can include models. And I know that sometimes making a model of something seems super simple. This was an activity we did where we took M&Ms and did models to represent bonding. So the first one's ionic, where one atom donates an electron and the other one receives it. And then we have covalent, where they're sharing electrons. And so we cut those M&Ms in half and used icing to glue them together. Uh, and it gives, um, these models give a visual representation of the science we see. So we've done cell calzone models. Uh, we've done this chocolate bonding activity. We've done Twizzler DNA. If you can tell, we really like to incorporate food into science because it makes it even more fun. So models are another great way for us to kind of show science to our kids face to face. And then if you don't want to have the mess in your house, you can head outside and do nature study. So we can find the principles of science in nature. After all, a lot of the things we already know about science came from someone of observing it in nature and wondering why and then doing more discovery about it. So we can certainly use nature study as a part of our hands-on science. And then we can use things like online labs. So especially this is great with your older kids, uh, especially when they get into high school, because sometimes we can't, you know, get all the chemicals and everything that we would normally have in a standard lab in our, in our house. Although there are kitchen substitutes, it's nice to be able to have access to that stuff in a virtual lab setting. So you can use things like Beyond Labs has a really great set of virtual labs that the kids can manipulate stuff in. 
And then PET has free physics experiments, which this picture is from. And then you can watch YouTube where they can do the demonstration and then you can have your students do that. And then finally, uh, the last thing we can use for hands-on science at home is the science fair projects. So I know it seems like a lot. Uh, we've actually broken it down into eight steps that you can do at home. Uh, I have a podcast called the Tips for Homeschool Science Show, and I believe it's uh, episode 47 through 49. And we went through how to do a science fair project at home. But these are really great to do at least once with your kids, especially once they hit about fifth or sixth grade is what we recommend to do at least one with your students if you can at some point in their educational journey. It's a lot of fun to do for them. And if they like to do it, you can do it more than once. Um, but those are the things you can use for hands-on. So you can see it's not just experiments that you have to do um, in a lab setting, um, but it's lots of options that we have as homeschoolers to present the face of science to our students. So as I said before, uh, science is a marriage of facts and applications. So we've already talked about the applications, now we want to talk about how we can share the facts with our students. So this is our second key, we're reading about science or we're gathering information. And we can do this in a variety of ways too. So we can use children's encyclopedias, uh, like the ones put out by DK or Kingfisher or Usborne, those are my favorite three publishers. Um, and you can choose ones that are age appropriate for your students. So they have like the Basher books that are more uh, cartoony that do really well for the younger students. And then you've got um, like the Osborne Science Encyclopedia that's a little more got a little more meaty and has a lot more information in it that's better for your older students. So you can use those age-appropriate encyclopedias and you can use living books. So this is the one, the living book we offer, the Sassafras Science, but there are other options as well out there. There are older options like the Burgess Bird books and there are also uh, newer options as well more modern, but basically you want to look for something that's been written by somebody who is passionate about science or is an authority in the subject, and you want to look for something that's interesting that has the facts woven into the storyline. So your kids get lost in the story and kind of forget that they're learning science at the same time. So that's the benefit of living books. Of course, you can look at the library for those as well. And then we have YouTube videos, which is amazing. We live in the digital age and have so much information at our fingertips and so many options on YouTube for videos about subjects that we can look up and kind of enhance what our students are learning from the encyclopedias or the living books, or we can actually just have them watch videos if they are more um, audiovisual learners. So that's an option for us as well. Uh, we have a list on the Elemental Science website of 50 videos that include includes, I think it's like 10 YouTube channels that we like and use regularly in our own homeschool. So that's an option you can look up. And then the last thing we can use to get information is textbooks. <laughs> textbooks normally um, aren't really talked about in the homeschool circles, especially in the early years, but textbooks definitely have their value, especially when kids get to middle school and high school level, because it presents a lot of information in a systematic way, and we make sure that we're covering all the bases that we need to for our kids. So we personally like Prentice Hall, uh, Miller and Levine, uh, CK12 has a free option for textbooks. Uh, so those are some good options when you get to the older high school years. 
So those are options for gathering information or reading about science. And then we have our last key. So we're doing science, we're reading science, and now we're going to write about science. And this is because our students are far more likely to remember what they're learning when they write it down. If you're like me, um, if I don't write down what should be on my list for the week, I will forget it and I'll end up getting none of the things I needed at the grocery store. So it, it, it's the same, the same is true with our kids, that they're far more likely to remember um, what they need to or what they need to or what they've learned in science if they write it down. So I personally prefer uh, notebooking as opposed to comprehension uh, style worksheets. Some kids just want to spit up back out the facts, and that's fine. Those are totally um, good options for them, but we use more of a notebooking style where we're discussing what we've read about, and then we're having our kids write down what was most meaningful to them. You can do this using lap books. So these are like mini books that are collected into a file folder, or you, know, you can put them on construction paper or in composition books. And then it kind of serves as a little scrapbook of what they've learned for science. And these are great for like kindergarten through about uh, second, maybe third grade, or for older students who prefer a more artistic approach to things. And then we have straight notebooks. So this is typically what you think of uh, when you think of notebook, those notebooking worksheets where you've got a material component. So that's something that the students have written. And then you've also got a visual opponent a component that has uh, pictures of what they're doing. And the purpose behind this with a notebooking page, having that uh, written content and pictorial content is that it engages both sides of the brain. So your kids are more likely to remember it because they've seen something and they've thought about something and there's multiple connections. So that's why we really love notebooking because it gives them that um, dual touch points with the information as they're writing it down. And as they get older, so they're progressing from these lap books, simple notebooking options, to notebooks or workbooks or journals, um, and then into a um, space where they're writing outlines and then paragraphs or lists of facts, outlines, and then paragraphs. So that's kind of the progress they make with the writing journey. I always do say um, when you're doing writing with science to make it easier than what they can actually do so that they're not um, bogged down in the task of writing, but that they're actually able to easily write what they've learned. So, you know, if your student is just learning how to do a list of facts in their writing, or they're just learning how to do outlines, then you probably want to keep their writing much easier than you would expect in their writing program. And then we can also do sketches. Sketches are great for the middle school years especially middle school, high school, where we're trying to get them to organize the information in, um, and this helps them to do that visually so they can see in their mind, okay, this means this, this, and this, and we're kind of giving that visual organization and helping them uh, create that organization of the information that they know. And then we want them to record what we've done with the hands-on in some way. So as they, in the early years, this will be really simple, uh, we did this, I learned this kind of record. And then as they get older, they'll keep charts that will show, you know, I saw this or will show record specific um, results that they got. Yeah, so that's how you record those hands-on activities. And then we've got nature journals. So 
Our kids love to do, we do nature study on Friday fun days. Um, we've always done something different on Fridays because it kind of helps uh, end our week on a high note. And so we would typically do some kind of nature study. And the only things that I required my younger students to write was the date and one fact. And then as my students got older, I would require them to write the date where we were in a fact. And the reason why I have them keep the date on the nature journal is so as we look back, we can say, you know, hey, our irises bloomed at the end of March last year, and this year they're blooming on April 15th. That's really weird. Why is it two weeks later? So over the years, having that those dates and the locations in your nature journal will really kind of help your kids to make connections to what's happening in the world around them. So that's what, but when they do these nature journals, these are really meant to be a very personal record. So I would never really required my kids to uh, write super, super sciencey nature journal entries, but it's perfectly fine with, you know, I saw a bunny. It looked like the one I saw two days ago. That's fine to have a nature journal like that because it was meaningful to her at that moment. Okay, so the nitty gritty. I know that's a lot to throw at you with these three keys. So we're doing, you know, we're doing science, we're reading about science, and we're writing about science. And how does that look each week? How do we pull it together for our science plans each week? So each week we want to do something. Now, whether you start your week doing something or whether you end your week doing something, that hands-on science activity needs to relate to whatever you're learning that week. So if you're studying giraffes, you want to do, uh, you could do a giraffe saliva experiment where you put cornstarch and water in a bunch of twigs and leaves and it helps the kids see how uh, the giraffe saliva protects the inside and the giraffe's tongue. Um, so that he can eat these acacia branches and thorns and, and leaves and things like that. So you want that hands-on science activity to relate to whatever you are doing for the week. And you want to do just one hands-on science activity each week. You, of course, you can do more if your kids love them. But you only need to one. And then we're going to be reading. So you're going to be presenting the information of science that you want to share with your students at some point in the week, uh, maybe once or twice a week. And you can read about science. You can watch videos for this. You can uh, listen to a presentation, you know, watch a field trip presentation or something like that. But you want to have them uh, get information from somewhere. So gather information about science, whatever topic you're studying, whatever you did for science, those two will relate. And then you're going to write about science. And you're going to do that either once or twice a week as well. So you can have them record their hands-on each week. You can have them record one of the things that you read about. You can have them record just the things that you've read about. You can have them record just what they uh, did for science each week. So you want to be doing science, reading science, and writing about science each week. How does that re then relate into what we offer? So those three keys are the basis of all our programs. So all our programs will give you the tools you need to do science, to read about science, and to write about science each week. So we have three programs, our classical science, sassafras science, and science chunks, and each one has its own uh, unique flair. 
So our classical science is actually how we got started. Um, our daughter, we, we were doing classical education with her, and I just did not feel like I could find the science program I wanted. So I ended up writing one. And my husband was like, why are you doing this much work? <laughs> and he was like, if you're doing this much work, I bet somebody else needs it too. So that's how elemental science got started. So of course, this series is near and dear to my heart. Um, but basically, each week you will be doing a demonstration or an experiment. Uh, the directions for that are in your teacher's guide uh, for the logic stage, for the grammar stage, which is our younger first through fourth grade. Um, it's currently in our earth science program and will be in the rest of them by the end of probably 2022. Um, but right now, those other grammar stage programs use Janice Van Cleve's experiment books. And then you'll be reading from some kind of encyclopedia, so either DK or Kingfisher or Usborne, and the pages in there will be will be there in will be in the program for you, along with some discussion questions you can ask your students to make sure uh, that they're comprehending what we're talking about or they're getting what what we want them to learn. And then you'll be doing some kind of notebooking. And again, this is going to be customized for what you're doing each week. So everything's going to tie together. There will be that thread from what you're doing, what you're reading, and what you're writing. It will all go together, and then you'll carry on through the week. So with our classic series, um, you're going to cover just one subject per year. So you'll be doing biology one year. You'll be doing earth science astronomy one year. You'll do chemistry the next year, and then physics, and then you'll cycle back around. So that's how the classical science series works. And then we have our Sassafras science series, which is a living book. So we talked about that before, and this is an adventure style novel. So it weaves the scientific fact into uh, this adventure that Blaine and Tracy Sassafras have as they zip around the world to learn on invisible zip lines to learn about science because they failed. And so they had to go to their Uncle Cecil's after they failed science class. Their parents um, sent them to Uncle Cecil, who invented these invisible zip lines, and now they travel around the world with smartphones to record scientific information. So that's the basis of the Sassafras series. But even with that series, you will have an activity that goes with every chapter, a demonstration, plus other activities, STEM-style STEM activities that go with the chapter as well. You'll be reading, uh, each chapter is broken into two sections, so you can break that over two days, or we have audiobooks, so someone can do that reading for you if you don't want to read it yourself. And then we have writing. So with our Sassafras series, we have what's called a SIDAT journal, which the twins use the SIDAT app as they go through to record what they're learning. Um, so your kids can go right along with Blaine and Tracy and write down what they've learned in their own SIDAT journal. But we also have lap books that go with that as well, if you don't want to do as much writing. And then finally, we have our brand new series, uh, Science Chunks, which allows you to kind of pick and choose. Uh, it's more of a unit study style series, but still we will have those three principles. You'll be doing science, so there will be some kind of scientific activity for you to do each week. Actually, there's two each week. And then you can read about science. Again, we'll give you the schedule for those um, encyclopedias, what pages to read in there. And then you can write about science. And within the Science Chunks units, there are two options. You can either do the lap books or the notebooks. So that's the quick version of everything we have to offer.
Well, thank you guys for listening. If you stuck it out through this longer than normal episode, I really appreciate it. And I hope that you've been encouraged that you can teach science at home. In two more weeks, I'll be sharing a few of the questions and answers from several of the Zoom calls that I've done over the past month. If you have questions, go ahead and send them to support at elementalscience.com and I'll add them to the episode. Thanks for listening and I hope you have a great week playing with science.